0: The following audio is from Life Point Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about Life Point Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, Merry Christmas. If you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 today. If you don't have a Bible or don't own a Bible, uh, there should be blue ones definitely out in the foyer or in the seat back somewhere around you. That's our gift. Uh, to you. We've been talking about joy. We've been going through uh, the Christmas book of Philippians. You didn't know Philippians was a Christmas book, but it actually is, because the whole theme of the book is joy. Everyone say joy. That's what we've been talking about. That's what this whole season is about. That's what Christ's coming uh, is about, is, is joy. And so today I want to talk to you about how to find joy when you've messed up. Anyone ever mess up? Anyone ever dropped the ball, made a mistake, right? Some of you, you you've messed up, like, like me, you, you've messed up in such ways that you've kind of taken all your mess ups and, and you, you roll it into a ball and say, I've messed up, like I am messed up. And, and so what I'm talking about today is, is even though we've messed up and even though we feel messed up, there's an opportunity for you and I to have joy, uh, and, and so today I want to talk to you about joy in the spite of being messed up. How do I know that? Well, Philippians is written by a man named Paul. And for those of you who know the story, where is he when he writes this? He's in prison, right? And so he's in prison and he sits down with chains on his wrist and starts to write a book about joy. All right, so 19 times in 104 verses through Philippians, he talks about joy. And rejoicing. So, listen. You, you write a book about joy from prison. Either, either it's supernatural or it's super mental. Either this guy's really messed up or he's filled with the Spirit. Amen. And, and so, when you're in chains and you're in prison and you're talking about joy, there's something supernaturally must be going on. He must know something that you and I don't know. All right, and so 19 times he mentions joy, 61 times he mentions Jesus. It's not hard to see that joy and Jesus go together. And so listen, it's not about what you know, but rather who you know that brings the joy. Amen? Okay, so let's just jump in. Philippians chapter 3, that's where we are. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. And the first word is... Finally, my brothers. Now, I'm going to ask you something. Uh, we just finished chapter two. How many chapters are in Philippians? Four. So listen, he's only halfway, and he uses this word, finally. Eric, why do you point that out? It's because many times, as a preacher, when you're in the middle of the sermon, you will use words like, finally, And so some of you think you walked into church and you're like, okay, he says finally, he says in conclusion, things like that, he must be almost done, it must be time to get ready for lunch. That's a lie, it's biblical, it's only halfway. (laughs) Just giving you a heads up. That's my life verse, by the way. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Everyone say rejoice. That's what this is about, rejoicing. He says, I want you to rejoice In the Lord, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for me to you. So listen, this is what he's saying. He's like, I'm over and over, over and over reminding you again and again, it's no trouble. I want to tell you, rejoice in the Lord. He says he reminds them to rejoice. Why would Paul, over and over again, remind the church who's not in prison to continually to rejoice? Let me tell you why. Because we forget. We forget, don't we? I mean, so many times, I mean, you would never leave your house without your wallet or your keys or your phone. But how many times do we leave without the joy of the Lord? You know what? I'm so busy. I'm so distracted. You know what? I got my cup of coffee. I got my phone. I got my stuff. I'm just going to go about my day. But he's saying, hey, listen, don't forget, rejoice in the Lord. Remembering to rejoice in the Lord, listen to me, is a decision that we make. It's not something that just randomly happens. It's a decision that you and I can make every day and every morning to say, you know what, today I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. It's a choice you make. And listen to me, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to make that choice. That's what God gives the Holy Spirit for, to not only convict us of sin, but so that we would have the joy of the Lord. Listen to Psalm 16, verse 11. He says, you, O God, Make known to me the path of life. He says, in your presence is what? The fullness of joy. And so we are all on the pursuit of joy, are we not? And so we're looking for joy in this, we're looking for joy in that, we're seeking for joy in things, temporary things, looking for joy in relationships or income or jobs or careers or whatever it is. But he comes to say, listen, in the presence of God himself is the fullness of joy. It's not a temporary joy. It's a deep joy. It's an everlasting joy. It's a long joy. He says, it's a fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so you and I, we're looking for comfort. We're looking for safety. We're looking for provision. We're looking for pleasures, whether that's physical pleasures, emotional pleasures, mental pleasures, whatever it is, he says, I found it and it's in God. I found joy forevermore in God. I found pleasures forevermore in Psalm 16 too, He says, I have no good apart from you. He says, once you taste and see that the Lord is good, everything else looks so transient, so temporary, so gray. And he says, in the joy of the Lord is pleasures forevermore. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that God is a joyful God. Some of you. When you think of God, you think of this ruling judge who sits with his robe and his gavel of fire looking, waiting for someone to step out of line that he can smack. But the Bible points to God as a joyful God. He is full of joy in himself. He doesn't need circumstances to go a certain way for him to be joyful. He is joyful. Joy. He is full of joy, and in his presence is joy. So let me tell you what that means for you. That means you don't have to fear him. You don't have to run from him because of Jesus Christ and the work that he's done. When you're in Christ, he has joy for you. He wants you to experience this joy. God is a joyful God, and Jesus came to bring God's joy so that you would have the presence of God and know the fullness of joy. Eric, how can you say that? Well, Jesus says, in John 15, 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you so that my joy, the joy that Jesus has, may be in you. Everyone say joy. How many of you know that Jesus' joy is the greatest joy? And so what he's saying is, Jesus says, listen, I have joy, and I want my joy, the joy that I experience with God the Father and the Spirit, my joy to be in you, and that your joy may be what? be full. I want your joy to be full, Jesus says. I want your joy to be my joy, my joy to be your joy so that your joy would be full. He goes on in chapter 16, Jesus says, if you ask in my name so that your joy may be what? Full. So everyone say Joy. Listen, he says, he says, I want my joy to be in you. I want your joy to be full. Jesus also prays in John 17, 13. He says, these things I speak into the world so that they have my what? Joy. Everyone say joy. Is it not up there? So that you would have my what? Jesus wants you to have his what? That's what we're talking about. Amen? Amen. Come on, this is a two-way thing. All right, so these things I've spoken to you so that you would have my joy and my joy would be filled in you. Christmas and the birth of Jesus is not about doing things in order to earn the presence of God, but rather God's presence coming to us despite the things that we've done. How many of you know that's good news? The good news of the gospel and the good news of Christmas is not about us really working really hard to try and climb this this religious ladder or this spiritual maturity that somehow God would somehow be pleased with us, but rather it is God seeing us in our desperate situation and saying, I'm going in. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to save them because they need my joy, and and that joy is found in my presence, and so I'm going to bring my presence to them because they can't get to me. And so Jesus comes down and brings his Joy In the presence of Jesus, there is fullness of joy. Joy has come, and so Paul reminds us to rejoice in the Lord. Philippians is telling us that no matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we've done, we can enter into the Lord's joy. We could choose to rejoice in the Lord because joy is in the Lord. You see what I'm saying? We can choose to say, hey, I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord because I know joy is in the Lord. The Lord is joy. It also means that we can't go to the store and find joy. Listen, if you're shopping for Christmas, go into the next store that you're at and ask them where they keep their joy. Anyone ever been to Sam's? Costco? It's not on Amazon. Go into Costco, ask the little guy in the vest. Hey, where's the joy? See what he says. Um, We have a wine section. (laughs) Desserts over here. I mean, that's the closest you can get. Listen, you, you can't find joy in the things of this world. You need to go above and beyond the world. Ecclesiastes says that joy is actually beyond the sun because the one who is the author and the finisher and the source of joy is Jesus Christ. He tells us over and over again to rejoice in the Lord because we forget And so I want you to just simply start today to remind yourselves today and remind yourselves tomorrow and every day, even in this busy season, to rejoice in the Lord because joy is in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord because joy is in the Lord. Joy doesn't come from our circumstances, but let me tell you something. You can bring your circumstances into the joy of the Lord. Joy doesn't come from your situation. Joy doesn't come from your diagnosis or non diagnosis. The joy doesn't come from who you're with or who you're not with. Joy doesn't come from how much you make or how much you don't make. Joy doesn't come from the circumstances or the tornadoes that are going on around you. Joy comes in the Lord, but you can bring whatever circumstance that you're carrying into the presence of God, into the joy of the Lord. If I receive joy from Jesus, who is joy forevermore, then what happens is I have joy to share. You see, what happens is if we look for joy in our spouses or joy in our children and joy in our workplaces or joy in our corporate ladders or joy in our bank account or joy under the tree somewhere or joy hung by a stocking, listen, there are joy in those things, but they're all fleeting. They're all temporary, and what happens is your joy will be like a roller coaster, up and down, high and low, in and out, depending on whatever it is you look for joy. But since Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, what happens is when your joy is in him who never changes, who is the source of joy. We can have joy to share with our spouses and our children and into our workplaces and into our Christmas areas. That's the whole source of joy. And so Paul, he he looks at his circumstances and he says, hey, rejoice in the Lord. The story of Paul, he's been arrested. He's in prison. He's 800 miles from the church. He's 800 miles from family and friends. He's probably chained up, maybe to a guard or to a wall. He doesn't know his future, he doesn't know what tomorrow holds. He may die, they may, they may decide to put him for death. Do you know why he's in prison? He's just talking about joy, he's talking about Jesus. And they're like, stop talking about Jesus. He's like, he's the source of my joy, he's the source of everything that I know. I have to talk about Jesus. Well, we'll throw you in prison, that's great, I'll tell all the guards about Jesus. Well, we'll kill you, great, to die is gain, I'll do that. Then I'll get to go be with Jesus, and he is the source of my joy. And so no matter your circumstance, you can have joy. Let me ask you, do you think Paul has joy in his circumstance right now? While he's writing this? Listen, here's the deal, you can have joy in prison. You can have joy separated from family. You can have joy if you're separated from friends. You can have joy not knowing what tomorrow brings. You can have joy because joy is in the Lord. And Jesus is the only secure source. And what he's going to talk about next is not only are we to rejoice in the Lord, but he gives us a warning and he says there is a counterfeit belief to joy. There is a counterfeit belief that comes to ruin joy. Now some of you have experienced the counterfeit and some of you have experienced the genuine joy in the Lord. And he's gonna tell us what the difference is. He's gonna say there is a counterfeit belief. God wants you to have joy and just like the temporary joys of this world, he says religion is a counterfeit to real sustaining joy. Eric, how can you say that? Aren't we in church? Aren't we doing religion right now? No, listen, we're we're not coming together so that we can earn something before God. We come together because our joy is in God and we wanna worship God together. And so this is the difference. He says religion is a counterfeit to joy and religion kills joy in the Lord. Eric, what do you mean by religion? Well, let me clarify, thanks for asking. He says, listen, religion is is man-made Traditions, man-made rules, man-made ladders, man-made righteousness that you think that you can build so that you can somehow climb your way like a tower of Babel trying to get yourself to God. And he says, listen, you're trying to build to try and get to the presence of God, but the truth is that the presence of God is here. Religion, he says, it's about cleaning yourself up trying to make yourself right before God. But the good news of great joy, that will be for all people, saves us from this counterfeit. Eric, what are you talking about? Well, let's look at it. Philippians 3, verse two. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by Spirit of God and the glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh when he says that word flesh he means our works he means well, you know what i do my accolades my achievements my religion he says i put i put no credit no confidence in the flesh Though I myself, if we were talking about that, I myself, Paul, would have a reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have what? More. I have more confidence. All right. So he starts off and he says, look out for the dogs. How many of you are cat people? Some of you cat people, you're like, does the Bible say anything about cats? No. (laughs) It doesn't, because cats don't matter. That's why. Look out for the dogs. He says, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who are, who are bringing to the table a works-based righteousness, a, a religious form, and they're coming to you and they're saying to you, okay, look, we have rules. This is what you need to do. This is what you don't need to do. We're gonna have meetings and committings and clipboards and judgments, and we're gonna have performance reviews to see how righteous you really are. And he says, remember that we don't worship by our flesh. We don't worship because we do stuff. We worship by the Spirit of God, and we glory only in Jesus Christ. We do not glory in performance. We do not glory in church attendance. We do not glory in merit badges or religious accolades. We do not come to God." full of achievements. We come to God empty-handed and say, thank you for Jesus. We don't glory in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ. It's why we don't sing songs about how awesome we are, but how great Jesus is. Amen? And so he says, listen, we put no confidence in the flesh, We put no confidence in human works. We put no confidence in human efforts or performance. Paul says, if you want to boast about religious performance, I'm the rock star. Paul says, I'm the best. I win the gold medal. I get the first prize every time. And then he's going to give us a little bit of a a resume or a little bit of background on who he was before Jesus. Look in verse 4. He says, though I myself actually have a reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else, he thinks he has reason for confidence in his his achievements or his religion, he says, actually, I have more. Listen to what he says. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm actually a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, what does he say? blameless. He says, I'm blameless. Now, that's sort of a, a religious list that would come from a Jewish culture. He looks at the Old Testament. And he says, I've done it. I made it. I've achieved it. I am the man. And if you think you have a way to boast, I can boast all the more. And you and I, we read that list, you know, circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, Hebrew, Pharisee, very much zeal, was very ambitious for the church. We look at that list and we're like, Paul, that's kind of a silly list, isn't it? Okay, listen, we've all got a silly list. I'm just saying. Some of you are like, well, I grew up in church. I went to Sunday school. They actually gave me badges for not missing. I was baptized. I I went to the altar. I I prayed a prayer. I I do church attendance really well. 75% of the time, I'm in church. Some of you say, well, well I, I, you know, I, I speak in tongues, I go on missions trips, I, I, I've done service projects, I've, I've done social justice, and I, I, I give my tithe and my offering. And some of you are like, well, that's a nice list, but I, I actually homeschool, or I, I actually Christian homeschool, and, and so on, uh, or uh, even best, you're like, but I have a 99.1 sticker on my car, mm? Whatever the case may be, can we all agree that our lists are a little silly? We're trying to prove to ourselves, we're trying to prove to others, right, that that we're the good people and not the bad people. We have this list and we, we say, look at me, listen, I'm the standard by which we measure and everything else around me falls short. Religion says, actually, I'm here to judge you, thank you very much. The joy stealing spirit is not only in religious circles, but it's also in social or moral or political causes. You make a list, don't you? Everyone has a list. Everyone has a list that says we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. We're the good party, they're the bad party. We're the good race, they're the bad race. We're at the good income level, they're at the bad income level. It's us versus them, we're always better. Listen, that is the spirit of religion and it causes division and it robs you of joy. And that's not the gospel. It's not only a false gospel, it's a counterfeit to joy. And so Paul says, listen, you want to judge? You want to make a list? He says, I'm better than all of you. Are you kidding me? Eighth day, Benjamin, Hebrew, zealous, devoted, committed, hardcore, Pharisee. When it comes to the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, 613 laws. He says, checked it. I am blameless. Before meeting Jesus, Paul would say, I don't need Jesus, I'm my own savior. Because he thought he had arrived, he thought he made the list, he checked it twice and he is in line. He had achieved perfection on earth until he met Jesus. And now after meeting Jesus, seeing God himself, he's humbled, Jesus Christ now becomes his joy. Now he says, listen, I pursued religion. I, I, I pursued it with great passion, but I found it all to be absolutely in vain. He actually says, it's meaningless. It's a dead end. He says, it's a, it's a counterfeit To joy. And so he's discouraging you and I. If you're in the pursuit of joy, he's discouraging us from this this being religious chasing joy in man-made checks and balances, but rather he's inviting us into a relationship with Jesus Christ himself. Religion is a counterfeit to joy because religion says people like this are good, like this are bad. And so what happens is you will either learn to pretend or you will perform. You will say, I'm gonna meet that list, I'm gonna check that list, I'm gonna make sure that I am blameless, or you'll pretend that you do. And you'll wear the mask, you'll put on the religious facade, you'll dress up in your Sunday's best so that everyone thinks that you're righteous. And he says, it's meaningless, and it robs you of joy. Religious people, they make a list to judge you, to punish you if you're not like them. It's the anti-joy. And Paul says, look out, they're dogs, they're evildoers, they they mutilate the joy that comes in Christ. How many of you, just to testify, how many of you grew up in a hyper-religious church background home and you're like, there's no joy here? You've experienced that. I've been in church for a long time. I've, I've seen some things, and I've seen just churches that just do things because, because they think that that's, that's how you earn something before God. Religion is the counterfeit belief of rejoicing. And so let me just tell you something this morning. I don't want to just give you information, but rather impartation. What I mean by that, I don't want you to just know some things about joy, but I want you to experience joy. I want you to experience the transformation that comes in Christ, because listen, you can believe that the joy of the Lord is your strength, you can believe that the angel said to the shepherds, hey, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. You can believe that the theme of Philippians is rejoice in the Lord always, and you can believe uh, that in the presence of God there is joy forevermore. And it it can all be defeated by you trying to earn it. Paul is begging you and pleading you, listen, don't just know some things about joy, know the source of joy. Know the one, Jesus Christ, who is joy. And, And he's testifying, joy is not found in religion, it's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So where do we get it? Well, finally, or in conclusion, I'm just kidding, I'm really almost done. Look in verse seven. Whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Everyone say loss. He says, okay, I've gained something. Like I, I devoted my life to some things and whatever I devoted my life to and whatever I gained, listen, I count that as a loss. Listen to what he says. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, everything as lost. Everyone say loss. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now he says, listen, I count everything as lost in comparison to the surpassing worth of not knowing about Jesus Christ as Lord, but knowing Him. There's a difference, amen. And so he says, listen, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss. Everyone say loss. He says, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them all as rubbish. Everyone say rubbish. That's a fun word. Rubbish. Rubbish. That's rubbish. Say it with a little accent. It gets even better. I count it as rubbish. Listen to what he says. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from religion and the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Everyone say faith. This is what he says. He says, all of my performance, all of my achievements, I count it all as loss because there is so much worse in knowing Jesus Christ, who is my joy, that all of it is meaningless. He says, for the sake of knowing Christ, I've suffered loss of all things. Think about Paul for a moment. Think about what he's lost. He probably lost his family. Growing up, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee. He comes home one day and he says, oh, I love Jesus. Guess how his family's going to respond? It's blasphemous. He probably lost his family, he probably lost his friends. There's a possibility he lost his wife because he was part of the Sanhedrin and one of the requirements to be a part of the Sanhedrin is to be married. Yet we read of him in the New Testament, he has no wife. Maybe she died, maybe she left him. Imagine coming home, telling your wife, I love Jesus now. She's like, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with that. Imagine you meet Jesus and everything changes. Everything leaves, everyone walks away. Listen, once he's found Jesus, he's, he's out of a family. His religious degrees are rubbish. His, all of his teachings up to this point, his certifications, they're rubbish. All of a sudden, he lost his income. He lost his safety. He lost his security. He lost his friends. He lost his family. And now he's in prison. Now he lost his freedom. And he possibly is going to lose his life. And what he says is it's a great deal, that's a great deal. I get Jesus. I lose this. I lose this. I lose this. I lose. I could lose my life, but it's a great deal. Why? Because I count everything as lost because He's worth it all. If you could experience that joy, it would change your life. If we could experience that kind of joy, it would transform your heart. If you can experience the joy that comes in Christ, it doesn't matter what you go through. Listen, giving up everything to know Jesus is a trade you will never, ever regret, amen? Those are the people who know Jesus. Giving up everything to know Jesus is a trade you will never forget and it is a trade you'll never regret. He goes on to say, he says, so that I would gain Christ. He is the righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes from God. It means, it means that his righteousness didn't come from himself. He says, it's a gift. Let me unpack this for you. Listen, God is righteous, God is holy, God is pure, God is blameless, and God made us to be righteous. Yet through sin and rebellion, and mistakes, we've, we've traded in the righteousness of God, and we've chased joy in other things. The Bible actually says that we, like sheep, have all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. We've all turned our backs on God, and we say, God, I don't want that. I want this. And the Bible calls that sin. When we glory in, desire, chase other things besides God, it's a turning away from God. And so God, then through our sin and through our rebellion, we are called unrighteous, because of, we were made righteous, we still long to be righteous, but we are yet unrighteous. And so we desire the righteousness, yet we pursue it through the, what the Bible calls works or religion. So you can either work your way, try to work your way to God, which is no joy and no gospel, or you can receive it by grace-based righteousness. Works righteousness is making the list. It's saying this is what I must do in order to have acceptable behavior so that God would like me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and clean myself up. I'm going to try and do some good stuff. I'm going to start with going to church, maybe praying every once in a while, maybe helping someone in need. And it's me self-willing, self-achieving, self-accomplishing, making the list to declare to yourself and to others, see, I'm a good person. See, I'm doing a pretty good job. Now here's the problem, God's standard is not to be good, it's to be righteous, it's to be holy, it's to be perfect, because God is righteous, God is holy, God is pure. Some people think God grades on a curve, well, you know, if I were to compare myself to the rest of the room, I'm probably a C plus kind of guy. That's passing, right? I mean, it's good enough to get by. I'm a C plus person. No, no, no. God doesn't grade on a scale. It's either perfect or imperfect. It's either holy or unholy. Well, Eric, how can you say that? Well, Jesus says it in Matthew five twenty. He says, "Unless your righteousness that it exceeds that of the scribes of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of God." Paul says, Unless your righteousness actually exceeds mine and I'm blameless, you won't know God. Jesus says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What kind of standard is that, Jesus? Be perfect? Who can do that? No one. That's the answer. Well, one did and we killed him. Jesus says, I'm perfect. Jesus says, I'm blameless. Jesus says, I'm righteous, and he also says, no one is righteous, not even one. He says it so that we would be humbled, so that we would know that we need a savior, so that we would know that perfection is unattainable outside of him, outside of religion, outside of works, outside of anything we can do to boast in. We need Jesus. And Paul uses a very, very strong word here to explain our religious works. He looks at that and he says, you know what? When you pursue religious in the sight of God, he uses this word rubbish. Everyone say, rubbish. Rubbish. Say that little accent, rubbish. Yeah, that's pretty good. English translations, they're garbage, dung, trash, filth, worthless, pile of waste, a bunch of turds. Next time you're out walking your dog and he does his little business, hey, look, that's religion. There it is. Isn't it weird how people will compare and brag about their religion? Look, well, there's my pile of achievement. Mine's bigger than yours. Honestly, how many of you have taken a picture of it and sent it to a friend? I hear a yeah over here. You call people and hey, look at this one. Listen, listen, when you do that, it's it's like comparing your turds. I'm not real sure that's an achievement. I mean, before God, it's meaningless. He says it's rubbish, it's dung, it it doesn't even make sense. Paul uses the word to describe a works based achievement, and he says ultimately it's worthless and it's in vain. But he says, on the other hand, God actually offers a grace-based righteousness, which is righteousness that is given as a gift. And we're talking about Christmas, and we're all about to get some gifts. And he says, listen, this is the gift of God, the righteousness of God, gifted to you to be received by faith. Every Christmas, we remember that the wise men come into Bethlehem. We don't know how many wise men there are, but we know they bring three gifts. And every Christmas, we exchange gifts Because this season is all about gift giving. Yet so many people refuse the greatest gift of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, and it robs you of joy. Jesus earned the righteousness, and he gifts it to you. Only Jesus is perfect. Only Jesus is sinless. Only Jesus has no fail, no failure, no flaw. Only Jesus is righteous. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, for our sake, God has made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ actually takes on our unrighteousness and clothes us with his righteousness so that we would know God. If you want to be righteous, you need Jesus. Jesus is perfect. He suffered, he lived a perfect life. He lived the perfect substitute for you and he gifts you righteousness. This is the Christmas gift of grace. This is the gift that is to be received by faith and this is the source of your joy. When we come to God, we come with our hands empty. When you come to God, you don't come with your hands full of your achievement. The greatest gift exchange is when you come and say, Jesus, this is my sin, and he gives you forgiveness. Jesus, this is my guilt, and he gives you freedom. Jesus, this is my shame, and he washes you with his righteousness. Righteousness is a gift, salvation is a gift, forgiveness is a gift, heaven is a gift, and compared to that gift, everything else seems like rubbish. When we come forward today for communion, I want to encourage you to come empty-handed and I want you to receive the remembrance of the broken body and the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ for you. When you do that, what you're doing is you're publicly saying, listen, God, I bring nothing, you bring everything. Jesus, you're the giver and I'm the receiver and I need the gift of righteousness and I'm coming to proclaim that it is by your body and your blood that I receive It's the Worship team comes. I want to just ask, do you know Jesus? Not know about him. Have you received him? It's The greatest Christmas gift you could receive. Do you love Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? That's the most important decision that we will ever make. In all of your life. All of your living and breathing and achieving. The greatest thing that you and I could ever do is receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Even right now, some of you, I believe you've walked in this morning and you say, you know what, I'll I'll go to church because I want to be a good person. I want to go to church because, you know what, I want to try and better myself. I want to go to church because, you know what, it just makes me feel good You know what, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll do some things that maybe uh, will help me bring joy and maybe maybe going to, to church is one of those. Maybe you're looking for something to bring a little bit of joy this Christmas. Joy is not in doing. It is in a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you something, Jesus doesn't just make you better makes you new. And that's better. Jesus wants to make you new. When we come to Jesus, it says that the old has passed away and the new has come. Right now, even in your mind or even in your heart, the God who loves you, he knows your thoughts. Wherever you are, whatever circumstances you're facing, listen, you can talk. You can cry out. To Jesus. You can even this morning simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I have messed up. Jesus, I've been trying so hard to earn something. But you give it as a gift. You can ask Jesus right now, right where you are, to come into your life. And make you new. And just simply say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to just learn about you. I want to know you. And here's the truth of the scriptures that Jesus says he is faithful and just to come into your life. That the Holy Spirit will grab hold of your heart and you'll start to change it from the inside out. It literally says that he takes out our cold heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. He says that we, that we are truly born again when we do that. It is his joy that makes us new. And God enjoys giving us his righteousness. Receive it as a gift by faith this Christmas. Let me pray. Oh, God. Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you, God, that you sent your son to take All of our sorrow, our pain, our sin, and literally nail it to the cross. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and your willingness to put your joy into our hearts. And so, Lord, this morning as we pray to come to the table. Lord, would we come empty-handed? Lord, would we come empty-hearted? Come, Lord, humbly before you to say, God, you are my all. You are my sacrifice. You are my my lamb. You are my savior. You are my king. You are my prince of peace. You are my Emmanuel, my God with me. That you are the author and and the finisher of my faith. And when we come, we only come with trust. Trust in what you've done. And so Jesus, today I pray that you would forgive us, forgive me of my sin. That you would wash me and make me new and that you would clothe me with your righteousness. And Lord, today I ask that you would make me a new creation in you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. Holy Spirit, transform us. And Holy Spirit, give us joy in the Lord this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.